right, good morning, good morning. So we are in the last week of Joshua. It's been five months. We started Joshua in July, and we are now at chapter 24, wrapping this book up. A refresher on the themes of Joshua, God fights for his people, and God goes before us. God is with us. God is a mighty warrior, and so our lives are meant to be lived in response of that. We have a choice to make in all of this. And I revisit those themes because Joshua really ties this all together in his final interaction with the people of Israel. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 24. It's a longer chapter, a little bit longer than last week, so we're not going to read the whole thing to start. Instead, we're just going to kind of work our way through it verse by verse and see what Joshua lays out. So before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the hope of Jesus. I love that reminder that this is not a wishful longing, but a guaranteed reality that we can fix our eyes on. So Lord, let this, let this time of the service be a continued fixing of our eyes on that hope of Jesus. What a beautiful anchor you have given us for this life. And so we thank you. Prepare our hearts. God, teach us to listen. Teach us to be conformed by your word, not expect it to conform to us. Get rid of me up here. Get rid of ourselves listening, Lord. May this be your voice speaking. May these be your words. And may they be received with ears and hearts open by your spirit. Teach us all, Lord as only you can do. Be glorified as only you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we start with Joshua 24, and I want to start in verse 1, and we see something interesting in verse 1. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And, and that seems like a small detail, you know, okay, why are we pausing on verse 1? I thought we said this was a longer chapter, we're not going to take our time. Like, but this is important, because Shechem was not where the tabernacle was. The house of worship, the altar, the Ark of the Covenant, was at Shiloh. So why for this momentous conversation, this massive time in Israel's history, this vital conversation that Joshua has before he dies, why does he take the people to Shechem? Well, because Shechem was a place of prominence in the heritage of Israel. It's where God appeared to Abraham and gave him the very first promise. The, the Abrahamic covenant was established at Shechem. That's in Genesis 12, 6 through 7. It's where Jacob stopped to purify his household from idolatry. You see that in Genesis 33 and 35. And so Shechem represented sanctification to the people of Israel and their inherited testimony. Shechem was this place where God interacted with his people and set them aside. And then his people responded and set themselves aside. So this was really a revisiting of a prominent theme and truth in the life of Israel when Joshua gathers the people here. And I think that lesson is important for us, that it is appropriate, it is good at times in our lives to revisit what we know and to go back to the basics, to return to the building blocks and make sure that this is a reality that is cemented, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. So Joshua brings the people to Shechem, this place of sanctification, this place of being set aside for holiness, and he lays out this conversation. 
And so that's verse 1. And then you start in verse 2, Joshua says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. And now in the next 10 verses, verses 2 through 12, Joshua really lays out basically just testimony to everything that God has done in the lives of Israel. He says, I took Abraham out and I did this. Then I took Isaac out and I did this. Then I took Esau and Jacob and I did this. And then I brought them to Egypt and then I brought them out of Egypt. And Joshua just goes through the history of the people of Israel, and he provides testimony to remind them all just how faithful Yahweh is and just how he is always working and moving in the lives of the people. And again, this is something we've said before, but public testimony needs to be a part of the lives of God's people. Testimony is to give glory to God. Testimony is to praise God for who he is and what he's done. And it's also to encourage one another. As Joshua is about to lay out this very heavy charge to the people of Israel, he precedes it by laying out the power and the might and the majesty and the faithfulness of Yahweh. And so church, I want to remind you, does anybody remember what we talked about way back in the first week of July when we said, why are we doing this? I see a lot of shaking heads. You're like, are you kidding me? I don't remember yesterday, let alone five months ago. Let me remind you of the testimony of this church just in the last three years. Because make no mistake, the last two years, they've been difficult for a lot of churches and a lot of people. In spring of 2018, we had seven people on staff at this church. Now in fall of 2021, we have one of those same people on staff. That's a lot of change. And make no mistake, if you read through those 12 verses, what do you see at every step of the way? You see change. You see the location changing. You see the people changing. And I think that lesson is vital for us to grasp and fully wrap our minds around because we are people who don't like change. But change is inevitable in the lives of God's people. And change, when it is commanded by Yahweh, when it is led by Yahweh, when it is for the purposes of Yahweh, change is a good thing and should not be feared. Even if it's internal change, even if we're admitting, I need to personally change, that's a good thing. And so this church has experienced a lot of change, and we're still gathering. We went through a lead pastor transition. You know that's one of the things most likely to sink a church, is a lead pastor transition? As people, well, I like the old guy, I don't like the new guy, well, I didn't, you know, now I'm just not comfortable. I mean, like, a lead pastor transition is hard for a church. And God brought us through that. COVID was the most divisive, nasty year I've seen in my life. And I'm not talking about the world outside the church. I'm talking about the behavior of the church. Y'all, we did not handle 2020 well. We missed a lot of opportunities, but it was hard. I get that. And God brought us through it. And yeah, we lost people. I I know you look around and you don't see as many faces as you used to, but I have friends whose churches lost 70%, 80% of their people. Yeah, our budget took a little bit of a hit. That's a reality. But I've got, I mean, I know guys who are still 90% down in their budget. And they're asking, can we keep the lights on? Can we keep the doors open one more week? God brought us through 2020. 
God brought us through transition of staff. God brought us through these tumultuous times. I mean, I'm here to remind you of the testimony that God has proven so faithful just in the last two years. We have no excuse to look at who Yahweh is and say, I don't see evidence of His working. Because the very fact that we're sitting here is evidence of His working. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is what Joshua does for the people in these ten verses. He lays it out. This is who Yahweh is. And then coming out of that, he says, okay, so this is who Yahweh is. Verses 2 through 12, this is how faithful he's proven himself to be. And then in verse 13, he says this. Speaking, this is God speaking through Joshua. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. What's God pointing out here? He's saying, you didn't do the work. Don't get it twisted. Don't deceive yourselves. You didn't build these cities. You didn't prepare this ground. You didn't raise this orchard. And he's not shaming the people for this. He's not saying, so, you know, you should feel like you're less than because you didn't do these. He's saying, no, I did this for you. And it's this beautiful reminder of God's grace. And that's what testimony must always come back to, God's grace. That's what must drive our lives is God's grace. Because this is something we see throughout Scripture. Consider Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. If this was true in the Old Testament and it's true in the New Testament, and we've looked at God's faithfulness, then it's true in our lives today. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God reminds the people of Israel, you can't boast about this promised land. You didn't do a thing for it. Paul reminds us, you can't boast about your salvation. You didn't do a thing for it. You know what I provided for salvation? The sin that made it necessary. You know what you provided? The horrible sin that made it necessary. By grace, you have been saved. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did for us. And that is a beautiful treasure of a reminder that Joshua gives to the people at Shechem, this place of sanctification, this place of returning to the holiness of God. He reminds them of God's grace and God's goodness, and it's only right and appropriate that we do the same thing today and every day in our lives, that it must be about the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus. It's the only way we stand before the Father holy is through Jesus. And we didn't earn that. And I love that Joshua begins this for the people of Israel by laying these things out. Because then he draws the conclusion. What word have I said to pay? I've said, hey, if you ever see this word, pay attention. Therefore. 
right? When you see therefore in Scripture, immediately back up to the idea. So here's therefore, okay, what came right before it? Because this idea, once you see therefore, you know that this idea is going to inform this next idea. And this next idea is entirely based on and hinges on what comes before therefore. So verses 2 through 12, God is good. I mean, summarizing verses 2 through 12, God is good. He has proven it over and over and over again. He has proven himself gracious, giving you that which you did not earn, which you do not deserve. God is good. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Because there's weight to that grace. There's weight in our response to that grace. This is how good God is. Now, therefore, God's goodness should directly impact and affect your response to that. It's one of the themes that we looked at in Joshua. And I want to break down those two words quickly, sincerity and faithfulness. Some of your translations might say sincerity and in truth. That word faithfulness can also just as easily, just as equally be interpreted truth. And so God's goodness must inform our response based on the truth of God's goodness and the truth of his word and the truth of what he commands us to. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and truth and faithfulness. And then you have that word sincerity. And this word comes from the Hebrew word tamim. And it means completeness. It means soundness. This word 22 other times is translated as blameless. 36 times it's translated as without defect. So when he's saying serve him in sincerity, he's saying this can't be just a show. This can't just be lip service. This has got to be blameless without defect. This has got to be all of you. This can't be something you claim and don't follow up on. Joshua says, this is how good God is. Now, therefore, serve him in completeness. Not 99%. Not 99.9%. Serve him in entirety. Serve him with everything you have in response to who Yahweh is. We see this throughout Scripture. Deuteronomy 10.12. And now, Israel, listen for the words that you're going to hear repeated throughout these verses. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That Hebrew word for soul we talked about at the end of the message last week, nefesh, it means your passions, your appetites, your cravings. Can I truthfully stand before the throne of God and say he has all my passion? He has all my appetite. We just came off of Thanksgiving, a day that's all about appetite. Can I say, Lord, you have all my appetites? We were talking before the service, right? And I said, Thanksgiving is not, thank like if I show up to your house for Thanksgiving and we're setting the table and I'm like, where are the mashed potatoes? Oh, I didn't make mashed potatoes this year. I'm walking back out the door. Like, no. You can't have Thanksgiving without mashed potatoes. My appetite, my craving is for mashed potatoes. Can I say that about God? If I walk in my house and I sit down and I say, where's the appetite for the Lord? Oh, we set it aside just for today. Okay, well, I'm walking back out. 
I mean, can I say that about my own life? Sam, when I'm at work, is your appetite for the Lord there at work on the weekends while you're hanging out? Is there a craving for the holiness of God? Do I love Him? Do I serve Him with all my soul? 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. Again, in Samuel, you see tied to, consider God's faithfulness and how good He is. The only possible reaction to that is to serve Him with everything. There are no other options. Titus 3.8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Devote themselves to good works, not occasionally, not periodically, not when it's convenient, not when I've got a little bit extra in the bank account, not when my normal Wednesday night plans got canceled. No, devote themselves to the good work of the Lord. And then Ephesians 2.10. We read Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Look at the parallels. So Joshua 2, 12 through 14. This is how good God is. This is what he's done. Now, therefore, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Deuteronomy, or, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. This is how good God is. This is how faithful God is. This is what he's done. He saved you by grace, grace alone, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared the good works for us beforehand. Not so that we can sit back and say, oh, that's a nice idea. Gee golly, that's sweet. No, God prepared the good works so that we can walk in them. Man, that's great that Joe walks in them. I'm so proud of Joe. What about you, Sam? Well, no, I'm just really proud of Joe. That's why I go to the same church as him. No, God prepared the good works so that I may walk in them, so that you may walk in them. This is the natural conclusion to the grace by which we have been saved laid out in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. This is the natural conclusion to the grace that God showed the people of Israel that Joshua lays out here in chapter 24. I mean, throughout Scripture, you see God is faithful, God is good. It's grace and grace alone, so respond to that with your lives. Make no mistake, the works are not what saves us. Works do not provide salvation. James makes it pretty clear that faith without works is dead. So the works don't come first, but man, they better come in response to the saving grace of God through Jesus. This is what's laid out throughout the entirety of Scripture. This is what Joshua presents to the people at the conclusion of his life, his time with them. It's powerful. It's impactful. And we have to consider it because here's the thing. Okay, we're going to pause it, it, I love when I see people nod in response to things I say. I love when I see, when I hear people say amen. Like, right, it's, it's anyone who's ever done public speaking, it's helpful when the audience engages. And you're like, okay, someone is actually like, it might be just one person, but someone is listening, right? <laughs> and I promise I'm not, I'm not making fun of that, but like this next section that we're about to cross into, before you nod, 
What's a nod mean? If you ask me a question and I nod, that I agree, I agree. What does amen mean? Let it be so. The Hebrew, the Aramaic for, for amen was, it is certain, it is sure, this is sure. And not in a big, vague corporate sense, but in own, my own life I am saying, this is a certainty, let it be so. What we're about to talk about, these nec this next half of chapter 24, think very hard before you nod. Think very carefully before you say amen. Because Joshua asks the people some very direct questions. And when they say yes immediately, when their immediate gut reaction is like, yeah, yeah, of course, Joshua. He's like, no, 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 hold up. You got to pause. You got to consider what you just assented to. You have to consider what you just agreed to. Because this is serious. And this is not to be taken lightly. And so before we get into this second half of 24, I want to tell you guys the same thing. Before you say yes, before you say amen, before you nod, really consider what the voice of God is saying through these scripture verses. Because this is a serious thing. Because Joshua, he lays it out and therefore, so verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, and take it seriously. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he lays out the options. Because this isn't multiple choice. This isn't, and when I say multiple choice, this isn't like you've got seven options in response to that. Serve the Lord, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pick the one that most, you know, this isn't a Likert scale. Pick the one that most closely lines up with you. This is A or B. And he goes on to lay this out for the people in verse 15. There's no neutral. Jo I mean, listen, really listen to this. So Joshua, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, choose this day. Verse 14, serve the Lord in faithfulness and sincerity. That's not just a feel good, I'm going to needle point it and hang it on the wall of my kitchen. It's an A or B. Serve God or don't. But don't pretend like you are when you're not. What do we look at in, verse, in chapter 23 just last week? You can't serve two gods. You don't have two gods. You've got one. Jesus says no one can love and serve two masters. This isn't a heart divided. And so this is, this is a question that Joshua says to the people of Israel. Look, choose if you're going to serve God, and if not, then at least be honest with yourself and admit that you think that's not worth it. And I'm going to serve these other gods. God, you get everything, or I'm going to admit that I just don't think you're worth my everything. I don't think you're worth my all. I'm going to choose to give myself to other gods because the option of giving myself entirely to you, it's evil in my sight. I mean, it's the language that we find in Scripture. 
Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, he makes the vital point that he says it is essential that the service of God's people be done with a willing mind. I mean, Joshua deliberately uses the word choose. I can't do this for you. Whomever you're sitting next to, Bruce and Sue, Sue can't make this decision for Bruce. Bruce can't make this decision for Sue. You can't make this decision for your kids. I, your elders can't make this decision for you. You got to choose, and it's a choice. And he lays this out, and Matthew Henry says it must be done with a willing mind. And again, we see this throughout Scripture. Exodus 35, 29, All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Moses said, this is what we need for the completion of the work. And then the individuals chose, am I going to give a free will offering to the work of the Lord? 1 Chronicles 28:9 And you Solomon my son know that the God of your father know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought listen to this A or B if you seek him he will be found by you but if you forsake him he will cast you off forever this is what he lays out for Solomon. Hey, look, you seek him or you forsake him. If you're not seeking him, don't pretend that you're not forsaking him. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We love that half of this passage. And we should. It's a beautiful passage. I love that half of this passage. This is the Lord speaking. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Okay, God, stop there. But God continues. He says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. God says it's A or B. You're willing and obedient... And if you're not willing and obedient, then be honest that you're in rebellious refusal. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed... Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. God doesn't want your scraps. He doesn't deserve your scraps. Sam, that's harsh. I know God doesn't deserve my scraps, but surely he wants them, right? Okay, maybe I give him less than my best, but that's good enough. Read Malachi. Read Malachi if you think that your scraps are good enough for God. You know what he says in Malachi? I would rather you close the doors of that place than insult me with half-hearted offerings. When you bring me less than your best, I don't want it. Shut it down. Turn the lights off. 
It's a high standard. I will not apologize for that. Your elders will not apologize for that because it is the standard of Scripture. It is the standard that God lays out. You're in or you're out. You're willing and obedient or you're rebellious and refusing. I mean, these are the options that God lays out. If you seek Him, He will be found by you, but if you forsake Him, all right. Joshua lays this out for the people. He says, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him. Or if it's evil in your sight, then identify at least which God you are serving. If you're not going to serve God, well, then at least be honest about the idol that's in your life. Joshua lays this out for the people. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's essential we answer this question. And when earlier when I said, think long and hard before you say amen, before you nod, because the people rush to agree with Joshua's statement. So that's through verse 15. Then verses 16 through 22, the people are like, oh yeah, dude, we're in. Absolutely, yep. I'm tracking with you, Joshua. Amen, brother. Joshua says, no. You, I'm, seriously, take this question seriously. Are you going to do this? This is a hard thing. This is a big thing. This will require your everything. You better think carefully before you answer. And the people say, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're, good. we're in. He's like, are you sure? And they say, yeah. And then you know what he says? Prove it. Verse 23. I'll back up to verse 21. Or verse 20 even. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. So he's gone through and he said, look, I'm telling you guys, you're either in or you're out. God is your God or idols are your God. You don't get both. You don't get God and. And I'm not, okay, pause. I'm not saying you need to be perfect every day of your life. I am not perfect every day of my life. Okay? Your elders are not perfect. Pastor Mario is not perfect every day of his life. That's not what this is saying. This is saying is, where's your heart? Not are your behaviors constantly checking every little box on the task list, but where is your heart? Where are you pursuing? Where are your passions? Where are your cravings? Who gets your best? All right, this is what he's talking about. And the people say through verse 20, and Joshua says, if you forsake the Lord, there are consequences. Verse 21 and the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, All right, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord. And they said, We are witnesses. So these people are time and time again doubling down, tripling down. Yeah, we're in. God's our God. Then Joshua says, All right, then prove it. Because clearly Joshua sees something that causes him to question the sincerity of the people's response. Verse 23 he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. It's not about lip service. The people look Joshua in the face and they're like, we're in. God's our God. We're going to serve him. We have no idols. It's all about God. And Joshua says, yeah, then put away the idols that are among you. We got to be willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, am I just answering the answers that I, that I think I'm supposed to say? Or do my actions back this up? Because when you look at that word, when he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you, it's Kareb. And this isn't talking about physical idols. This isn't talking about, I've got a statue hidden over in the corner. This word means your inward parts. 
your heart. So Joshua looks at the people and he's like, yeah, look, it's all well and good that with your mouths you're saying you want to serve God and God alone. Then prove it with your hearts. Get rid of the idols that I can see among you. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 6, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Joel 2, 12 through 13, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. God says to the people, You want to return to me? Then forget that outward show of emotion. Don't rend your garments. Rend your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. That's the beauty of this, is that we're returning. How did this all begin? How did Joshua begin? By reminding the people of the goodness and the faithfulness of Yahweh. So we're returning to a God who delights in mercy. When I mess up and I mess up, I'm not returning to a God who's like, you again? Are you you kidding me? How are you so bad at this, Sam? No, I return to a God who's like, oh, my son, I delight to show you mercy. I delight to show you grace and forgiveness. This is who I am. It's still a response to the goodness of Yahweh but it's an inward response. James 1.22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. A more modern translation will say, Don't just listen to the word and so lie to yourself. Do what it says. Mike and Sarah, you got two kids. They're great kids. I genuinely love your kids. They're awesome. You say to them, Hey, Logan's like, Hey, can I have a friend over? And you're like, well, no, you need to do these chores. You need to clean your room first, right? Okay, cool. Logan comes back to you, and he's like, Mom, Dad, I memorized what you said. You said clean your room first. Okay, did you do it? No, I memorized it. And I memorized it in other languages. That's impressive, right? I I didn't do it, but I memorized it. Okay. Okay. Logan and Sydney come back to you, hey, we had friends over, and we got together, and we talked about what it would look like if we cleaned our room. Mom, Dad, I got to tell you, if, if I cleaned my room, it would look great. My friends and I all agreed it would be such a worthwhile thing to pursue. Well, did you clean your room? No, I had friends over, and we talked about it. Did they obey? No. God says, hey, do this. God, I memorized it. Would you do it? No, I memorized it. I had friends over and we talked about what it would look like if I did it. I mean, God, we had such a good conversation on evangelism. Oh my goodness. It was, it was such a rich conversation as we talked about how powerful it would be if we all shared our testimony regularly. All right, well, have you shared your testimony? No, but I had really good conversation with it. Choose. Make a decision. 
God, you're my God, no other. All right, then put away the idols in your heart. Think about these questions. These are questions that I ask myself, Ray. I tell you guys, I don't ask you questions, I don't ask myself. If the church, the body of believers, was made up of your clones, would that be a good thing? If every Christian in this church gave the same way you gave, would this be a church that could be described as cheerful, generous givers? If every Christian that made up this church engaged with Scripture the way you did, would that be a biblically literate church or not? If every Christian in this body preached the word to their friends, their family, I mean, euangelizo, Jesus said, go and proclaim a verbal proclamation. If every believer took evangelism as seriously as you did, would that be a good thing for the church? If every believer served the way you did, would we need volunteers or not? If every believer engaged with discipleship the same way you did, would the body be growing or would it be stagnant? If every believer behaved the same way you did, would this be a Sunday church or a Monday through Sunday church? If every believer treated one another with the same desire for fellowship, would it be a church of family or a church of strangers? God, you're my God. You've got all of me. And put away the idols in your heart. Joshua lays this out. I have to ask myself this question when I read through this chapter. Okay, am I giving God lip service or am I giving God my heart? Joshua says to the people, yeah, prove it. All right, Sam, prove it. When you wake up, prove it. When you interact with people at Kroger, prove that Jesus is Lord and defines how you behave. When you interact with family on the holidays and you've got one political opinion on this side of the table and another political opinion on this side of the table and you're sitting in the middle, prove with your response that you are someone who pursues peace and makes peace. Back it up, Sam. Joshua said this to the Israelites, Community Bible Church, I'm saying it to you. Prove it. Back it up. Discipleship matters. Prove it. Scripture matters. Prove it. Evangelism is so important. Prove it. God's not interested in what we say. Jesus tells a parable of a father and two sons. And the father asks the one son to do so. Yes, both sons. He says, hey, can you go do this? And the one says, yeah, dad, absolutely. And the other son says, no, I'm good. The son who said, yeah, doesn't do it. The son who said, no, I'm good, does it. Jesus says, which son did the right thing? The one who did it. This is what Joshua lays out for the people in his final interaction with them. And he goes on to say in verse 23, the first half is then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. I want to read 1 Kings 8, which really summarizes all of this. 1 Kings 8, verse 56. This is Solomon speaking. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant, the faithfulness of Yahweh. 
The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. That's what it is. God is faithful. God is good. He has saved us by grace alone. Respond to it. Jesus, you're my Lord. You just don't get to tell me what I do every day. That's an impossible statement. This is what Joshua lays out for the people. And so this week, as we consider this conclusion to Joshua, I want us to read 1 Kings 8, Ezekiel's 20, Ezekiel's, there's only one Ezekiel. 1 Kings 8, Ezekiel 20, Ephesians 2, 3, and 4. And then the question is simple, and this is a big picture question. Choose. Read these chapters, reread Joshua 24, consider everything we've looked at in the book of Joshua, and choose. Choose to serve the Lord your God, or acknowledge that you're going after other idols. This year's wrapping up. We're coming to the time of resolutions. I have my own thoughts on those. But it's still a good reminder that a new year, new start, today's a good day to make a new start. Don't wait for January 1st. But choose. Maybe we've gotten it wrong our whole life. Maybe I'm 97 years old and the first 96 years of my life have been pursuing idols. What'd Joel say? Return to the Lord who is gracious and abounding in kindness and delights in you returning to him. It's never too late to choose all in for God. It's never too late to say, Lord, here's my heart. You have all of it. But it's a choice that we're lying to ourselves if we think we're not making. Because guess what? You can say, oh, I don't have to make that. No, if you say, I don't have to make this choice, then you've made this choice and you've chosen idols. Choose. And the prayer is simple. Lord, what did it say? In, what did it say in 1 Kings? God, may you incline our hearts to you. Guys, if we're trying to do this without the power of Jesus, if we're trying to do this without the transformative, redemptive work of Jesus in our hearts, we're going to fail miserably. There needs to be deep and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit and on the power of Jesus to make this choice. So the prayer is simple. Lord, teach me to be someone who serves you in faithfulness, in sincerity. We're going to have little handouts at the door to take with you. Throw it as a, as a bookmark into your Bible to remind yourself of these passages and these questions. But church, choose. Please join me in prayer. Lord. Lord. We praise you that you are gracious and merciful, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We praise you that you relent over disaster. God, forgive me for when my heart has been a disaster. Forgive me 
for when I've rent my garments and not my heart. Forgive me when I've been so concerned with the external that I've completely abandoned internal transformation and surrender. Lord, thank you that you are gracious and merciful. Thank you that you are slow to anger with me. And as Solomon prayed for the people, Lord, I, I plead for this people. I plead before you that you would transform the hearts of this church. That this would be a body that chooses you and proves it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.